0: welcome to the fitness and lifestyle podcast i'm your host danny kennedy and i'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself what's up legends welcome back to a solo episode of the fitness and lifestyle podcast today it's been a little while since i've done one of these But I wanted to jump in today and answer some of your questions. I posted a story on my Instagram. If you're not following me, it's at DJKFitness. I posted a story the other day to get some questions for you guys um, or from you guys. And I'm going to roll through them today. We'll try and keep the episode not too long, but I want to make sure I add as much value as possible. So I said I would answer five of them on social media and I want to answer 10 of them for you guys today. So I appreciate everyone who did send through a question. And as I said, I hope I can add plenty of value for you in this episode. Uh, As always, I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes into the show. It is very much appreciated. We are seriously looking to grow this show as much as possible, all with the intention of helping as many people as possible and impacting as many lives as we can. And if you're listening to this now, then hopefully you're one of those people that we can impact. So we'll dive straight into the Q&A for today. And the first question is how do you know when to reduce your cows on a calorie deficit? This is a great question. So for anyone in a fat loss phase, obviously when we set our initial calorie deficit, it's very important to understand. And for those who don't know what a calorie deficit is, it means you are you are expending more calories than you are eating. So, to set a calorie deficit, we figure out what our maintenance calorie intake is, whether that's with a you know a formula or a calculator online, which are never 100% accurate, but they're a great place to start, or we track our food intake, um, our normal food intake over the span of a week, along with our um, average weight for the week, and we see what happens across that seven days. If we maintain our weight, then the average calories that we had across seven days is our maintenance. If we've lost weight, it means we're in a deficit. If we've gained weight, we're in a surplus. So, Once we figure out what our calorie deficit is and we start our fat loss phase, in time, it's inevitable that we're going to hit a plateau. Okay, so as our body fat and our body weight drops down a little bit, and obviously we're we're aiming to retain muscle mass uh, but reduce body fat, but as it drops down a little bit and as our body becomes accustomed to the amount of calories we are consuming, we will reach a plateau. So our metabolic set point begins to drop over time. Um, meaning that our maintenance calorie intake drops. And when we hit a a fat loss plateau, we have a couple of options. We can either increase energy output by doing some more volume in the gym or increasing the amount of cardiovascular work we're doing, or we can do a small amount of both, or we reduce the amount of calories that we are eating. Um, And obviously, that's that's typically what the option will be for most people to start off with until their calories get super low. But how do you know when to reduce the calories? So in my opinion, you know, body weight is never going to be the best indicator during a fat loss phase because if we're retaining muscle mass um, or or even if we're new to training and our muscle mass is going up um, and our body fat's coming down, then it's not going to be a good indicator because the scale weight won't change that much. I've had plenty of clients who have done, you know, like a 12-week program and their body weight is quite similar at the end of the program, but their body composition it's night and day. It looks completely different. Like they're extremely lean um, and they've increased muscle mass by the end of the program. So the scale weight doesn't matter as much. But when I'm on a fat loss phase, I like to track my average weight. So I take my weight on an empty stomach first thing in the morning after going to the bathroom across seven days and take an average. Um, I take progress photos each week under the same lighting. So same conditions, waist measurements. Um, And after roughly well let's say one to two weeks so most likely two weeks of hitting a plateau where there hasn't been any change at all that's when it's time to make a a change whether that's increasing output or decreasing calories so if you're going to reduce your calories that's when you would do it Um, and again it's only a small amount so let's say 100 calories less than what you're consuming at the moment so across the span of the week that's 700 calories reduction and typically coming from carbohydrates and fats you want to keep your protein nice and high during a fat loss phase that's how I approach it that's how I would recommend approaching it um, you don't need to be reducing calories all the fucking time particularly if you're seeing results like a lot of people just cut their calories during a fat loss phase just consistently for no reason and they could be eating so much more and retaining way more mass if they just watch their measurable outcomes and had made adjustments when necessary but that's that's the first one um, that's the way that's how I would recommend it anyway so make your reduction as you hit a plateau over an extended period of time Choose your um, your variable wisely in terms of increasing output or decreasing input. Um, that is number one. Number two, should you do cardio before or after your strength stuff? Nice. Um, you should always do your cardio after your strength training or completely separate. So let's say you did your cardio first thing in the morning and you weren't doing strength training until the evening, that's completely fine. But if you're doing both of the set, both of those training styles at once, so let's say you're going to the gym, um, you're going to do strength work and you're going to do some hit, then always do the strength work first. When your central nervous system is most fresh and you know, your energy levels are highest and you've got the best um, possibility of increasing the amount of load you're lifting. So progressively overloading, lifting safely Um, using most of your energy on the strength work and then finishing with the cardio afterwards. Okay, so always do your strength training first before you do your cardiovascular work. The mistake a lot of people make is they'll go in, do a really hard cardio session and then do weights. So by the time they get to do their weight session, their central nervous system is fatigued, their muscles are fatigued, they're um, neurologically fatigued as well and um, psychologically uh, fatigued, sorry. So their cognitive ability isn't as good. So their concentration is not as good. The energy output on the strength work is not as good. So the likelihood of retaining strength or even increasing strength and volume is quite low. So strength first, cardio second. What book has had the most impact on you? I get this question a lot and I feel like I've answered it a lot on the podcast, but I always like to refresh you guys and I'm going to give you three. So you asked for one, you got three. What a fucking legend. Um... I, my top three books in no particular order would have to be The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone um, then there would have to be The Super Attractor actually I'm going to the second can be an equal it'll be a tie so either The Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein or The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari by Robin Sharma and then the third one it's very hard to pick because there's so many good books I've read that have had a massive impact on me and all of them are quite different but one that I have read recently which had a big impact on me is called Stillness Speaks by Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle. I never know how to say his name, but that's what we'll go with. Um, Eckhart Tolle. So that's the third one. So the 10X rule, Super Attractor or the monkey Soldier's Ferrari and then Stillness Speaks. I'm much more of an audiobook person um, in comparison to reading books because I just either fall asleep or can't concentrate long enough. So audiobooks in the car. Um, when I'm going for a walk with Russ or whatever, that's that's when I listen to my, my content. The, what are the best exercises for abs, for lower abs, sorry? Um, this person has said, the top four abs always look quite good, um, but can't seem to get the bottom ones out. Love that. And that's very common. So so for a lot of people, we typically use our hip flexors a lot when we're doing ab work, particularly for the lower abs and we don't actually engage the lower abs. So things like, what's a good example? Like knee tucks, um, a lot of the lower ab exercises that you think that you see people doing that they think they're working their lower abs are genuinely just tightening the hip flexors. So you have to remember a very simple rule. When you're targeting your upper abs you are shortening the distance between your ribs and your hips and you're rolling the ribs towards the hips. So to engage the lower abs, we need to do the opposite. So we're still shortening the distance, but we're now bringing the hips up towards the ribs. So a few really good examples of those exercises that would target the lower abs. And keep in mind, if you're struggling to see your lower abs when you're in a fat loss phase, it usually will mean that your lower ab development is just not enough for them to show, so to to fix that problem, we just need to increase the muscle mass around the lower abs, so that when you are nice and lean and your body fat percentage is low enough, you are able to see the lower abs that everybody kind of wants to see and complete that six pack. But also, I want to throw in here: please don't put too much of your focus on just trying to see your abs. There's plenty of other health benefits um, and and goals that you can set for yourself in terms of getting lean training very well to focus on your health and whatnot that don't require you to see your abs because i actually put a post on my story today showing when i was like ridiculously fucking lean like i don't know what percentage it was but i literally had veins and shit on my abs and it doesn't feel good like you don't actually feel good when you're that lean and for me to see my abs i need to like to see them really well um i need to get extremely lean so that means you know a loss of strength loss of motivation Um, everything you lose sex drive you lose um, your metabolism slows down so it's not all that it's cracked up to be although I know it is a big goal for a lot of people so I did still want to throw it in there but that's my recommendation for lower abs oh fuck I didn't even say the exercises sorry guys Um, so the exercises that I would recommend would be reverse crunch um, a lying leg raise you know alternating lying leg raises all with the emphasis of rolling the hips towards the chest Hanging knee raises, um, hanging leg raises if you can engage your lower abs and not just your hip flexors. But they're some of the better um, lower ab exercises that I've used for sure in terms of building that, that lower region of my abs and starting to be able to see them at a higher body fat percentage. Next question is, what kind of things do you work on with your mentor? Um, great question. Obviously, I've stepped into the personal development space more lately after spending the last five to six years working on myself and that's a never ending journey. I'm continuing to work on myself and do the inner work. But now I just I almost feel called to help more people with that process and show people what's possible and what they're capable of and and how powerful their the thought is and, you know, our actions on a daily basis and removing self limiting beliefs and whatnot. But for me and my mentor, it's basically like this. I just get to have powerful conversations that give me different perspectives, it allows me to tap into areas of my consciousness that I didn't know were there. It it gives me the clarity and the tools that I can throw in when there's certain scenarios that I need help with. Um, it also gives me you know, the direction that I need to make sure that I'm aligning my energy with the things I say I want, that I'm mirroring my actions with what I say I want that I'm, you know, removing a lot of the clutter and the blockages that are holding me back from getting to where I want to be. It allows me to operate and vibrate at a much higher frequency by, you know, playing into the good energy and and you know following the direction that I'm kind of led into. And that's why I'm doing this personal development type of stuff. And the power of these conversations, you know, in my opinion with mentors is it's untapped because, you know, I've, I've used this example recently like for me to go and pay somebody to mentor me who has done the work that I want to do not only does it save me time but it saves me money and it collapses time so it gets me from where I am now to where I want to be in a much shorter period of time in comparison to if I had to just try to do it myself now A lot of the time, I'm making these, but it also throws the energy out to the universe to say that, hey, I am serious about this shit. You know, like I'm investing my time, I'm investing my money, I'm making bold and firm decisions and setting these boundaries and setting the standards that I want to live by by showing that I am willing to, you know, pay an uncomfortable amount of money. And sometimes you won't need to pay these mentors, sometimes it won't be that expensive you know, the work, the mentors that I've worked with are expensive, but for me, it's like, all right, I'm making this commitment to myself. I'm making a commitment to the universe to show that I'm fucking serious about what I said I want to do. Right, I'm going all in. I am, I'm giving the energy out that I hope to receive back. You know, if I want people to come and work with me on my coaching app, which is obviously cheap, um, but f- to work with me one-on-one now is quite expensive and to work with me as a mentor is quite expensive. But I believe the investment is 10 times, is, more, is worth 10 times more than what people are paying. And I believe that I'm getting that um, value in return to work with my mentor, okay? So putting that energy out there, it's, it's been a game changer. And I just often think about, you know, Michael Jordan had a coach. Serena Williams had a coach. Some of the top business people in the world have coaches. Every successful person that you have ever come across has, has had some form of mentor, they rely on to for you know to have the tough conversations with to call them out on their bullshit to have different perspectives and that's the beauty of it and you know I see immense benefit in it and I just think for me if I'm not investing in myself that way then I cannot expect to see the results that I've I've set for myself with these some of these massive goals that I've set for myself so that's that's one of the that's some of the biggest reasons why I use a mentor and the benefits of it Question number six is, do you have to take creatine at the same time every day? So creatine monohydrate, fantastic for, it's actually been shown to be really helpful for brain health, but it's obviously great for strength and power, muscle mass retention, um, muscle fullness, increases your ATP um, and PC stores. It's it's, uh, one of the most researched supplements out there. And you can ask basically anyone who has any information and knowledge on supplementation creatine will almost always be in the mix there. And particularly now, like I'm going to get a friend on soon who has a supplement company um, who has started producing supplements for people that are a little bit older. And the the research coming out now to show how beneficial it is to have creatine ongoing even into your later years is crazy. So to answer the question, have your creatine at any time that you are going to remember it. So for me, I have it first thing in the morning. It's important to understand that you're not going to see an acute response from creatine. So I'm not just going to have a scoop of creatine and then walk outside and lift a fucking car. It doesn't work like that. Over the span of around a week, your creatine um, stores will top up to a, a level, um, a certain level, and from that point onwards, you're just basically maintaining that level by having your serve creatine every day. Have it whenever you're going to remember to have it, um, but remain consistent with it. Um, okay, number seven. I'm already eating a lot, but can't seem to gain any weight. Uh, what is your advice? So, this was me. Um, sorry, I'm just writing down when I've answered these questions. I can chuck them in the notes for you guys. Um, this was me. Like, I, when I was younger, I said I wanted to gain weight, said I wanted to build muscle mass, said I wanted to look like fucking Arnold, but was eating like a sparrow. Um, And when I thought I was eating a lot, it wasn't until I started tracking my calorie intake with my fitness pal, figuring out how many calories I genuinely needed to, to gain muscle mass, to gain weight. And on a side note, if you're not tracking your food intake, at least roughly, you cannot be disappointed when you don't see the results you want because it literally takes the guesswork away. And, you know, that's why I added this second service within my coaching of doing just macro coaching, which is it's like 44 bucks a month. And I set people's macros on my coaching app that they get all the functionalities of the app. And once a month, they'll touch base and we will update the macronutrients. nutrients. Um, there's the option of having the meal plan in there, which is a great way to see how I would structure the meals for you. All customized, but it guarantees results, guys. And we want to take the guesswork away. But if you're not gaining weight and you're in the gym, you're progressively overloading, you're doing all the right things, you're drinking enough water, getting enough sleep, all that type of stuff, you're not eating enough. You're not in a surplus. If you're not gaining weight, you are not in a calorie surplus. And I don't give a fuck if you're already having 4,000 calories a day. You need more. And it is uncomfortable. Like in my opinion, gaining serious amounts of muscle mass and weight is much harder than losing body fat because you're not that hungry anymore. When you're in a fat loss phase, all you can think about is fucking eating. When you're in a surplus, all you can think about is eating less. But that's when the investment in your physique happens in the gaining phase. So it's, it's up to you to whether or not you are serious enough in your gaining phase to do the work necessary to see the results. Okay, And that means if you're not gaining weight, you need to eat more. You need to increase the amount of calories you are eating. Your protein should be at least 2 to 2.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. And if you continue to increase your 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 calorie intake and you're consistent with it over an extended period of time, um, you will see results. That's all there is to it. Question number eight is, do you believe you should stop eating carbs at a certain point during the day? Absolutely fucking not. You don't need to do that, okay? And unless you have some serious, you know, fucking glucose resistance, like your resistance to carbohydrates is outrageous whatever the fuck it is which is unlikely and very uncommon too okay if you've cut carbohydrates out for a very long period of time and you add them back in you cannot be surprised if your body kind of shits itself and goes what the fuck's going on initially but you, you will adjust to that but for the majority of people don't focus so much and i'm going to touch on this in the next question and we'll actually just tie this question together so question number eight is do you should you stop eating carbs at a certain point of the day second question that ties into this is how come i um, the person's asking me how come I only track protein and calories and I don't worry about carbs and fats is because it doesn't matter. If you're at an extremely low level of body fat, like bodybuilder level body fat, that's when you will see the difference between the ratios of carbs and fats. But for most people, it doesn't matter. As long as you are sticking to your calorie intake, you're eating enough protein, you're aiming for majority of your calories to come from nutrient-dense whole foods, and you're consistent and you you know sodium levels are quite consistent and drinking enough water and all that good stuff it's not going to make a difference okay your body doesn't your body does not hold fat or gain weight or whatever because you ate carbs or because you ate fats like that's just stupid but i used to think that so i was don't worry i'm not calling you stupid i promise cuz i used to think that as well but that's what we get led to believe it's not the case if you're not losing body fat or if you're gaining weight it's not cuz you're eating too many carbs it's because you're eating too many calories Okay, And that's all there is to it. So I eat fucking heaps of carbs like at night for dinner because I don't eat as much earlier in the day, so I backload a lot of my calories to the end of the day when I'm hungry and when I'm kind of relaxing and winding down. That's when I have most of my carbs, and it doesn't make a difference. All right, And if you're holding a little more water weight in the morning, so be it, whatever. You just drink a bit more water, make sure you're not holding as much. Um, and that's, that's all there is to it. So you're not going to gain weight because you had carbs before bed. And I used to believe that I was a fucking nutcase. I would like – I'll give you guys an idea. I used to eat like – fuck, I remember – fuck, man. It makes me – I sound like an absolute idiot now. But when I was younger, I would eat like a meal before bed, right? And if there was carbs in it, I would literally go to my room and do abs for like five to ten minutes thinking that I was burning the carbs off that I just ate because I thought that if I didn't do that, I would hold on, like store these carbs, and they would magically turn into fat the next day. Not the case. Okay, so don't don't think that you can't eat carbs at night. Eat them whenever it suits you. Focus mainly on your overall calorie intake. Make sure you're getting enough protein. Choose majority of your foods from healthier, nutrient-dense foods and you are good to go and you will see results, I promise. Next question. What have we got here? Um, What are your top five daily non-negotiables for someone starting their wellness journey? Awesome question um top five non-negotiables i would say firstly um sleep okay so aiming to get at least seven hours of sleep per night if possible minimum of six it's a very underrated it's extremely important number two would be hydration drinking enough water more than more water than you're drinking at the moment Number three would be figure out your structure for the week based off what you can do on a busy or shit week. So if you're starting off and you're saying, all right, I'm going to do a program which is six days and you realistically can only go to the gym four days, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So when you're figuring out your training program, your training structure, figure out how many days you can actually do, all right? And obviously, this requires some discipline and you may need to cut things out or reduce things in order to to take your goal seriously, but be sensible about how you set up your structure, okay? And I think I'll pair onto that, that you want to start off at a level where you've got room to move. You can add some more in. So you don't want to go 100% from day one because when you do hit a plateau and once it gets to the point where calories are quite low and whatever, you don't have any room to move by adding more in. So start at a point that you're comfortable with. Um, The next part would be to have some form of accountability, so, you know, accountable to yourself, make sure you're clear and precise and intentional about your goals. Um, if it if it means you have to work with a trainer or you have a training partner or, you know, it's, it's your partner or friends or family or whatever that you're remaining accountable to, there needs to be some form of accountability there with this wellness journey. Um, and then the next non-negotiable I think would be, I'm going to go back to number three when I said start at a level you're comfortable with. That also includes calories. So you should be in a small calorie deficit when you start your journey, if you're trying to lose fat. You may not be, but if you are, small calorie deficit so that you've got room to cut more off as you go without having to absolutely starve yourself. But the fifth one would be take your mental health just as seriously as your physical health. Say, Okay, so come up with a practice that's going to allow you to feel good each day, whether it's a morning routine, whether that's meditating, a gratitude practice, journaling, um, making time for yourself and being present. It's so important to have some form of mental health routine where you are able to take care of your mental health just as much as you would your physical health because without one you can't have the other or without one the other one's not going to operate at its best okay so extremely important we want to we want to sustain these results over the time like i'm sick of seeing people do like challenges for example that i just fucked up challenges right and they get to the end of it they might look great you know awesome congrats pat yourself on the back a week later you look like shit or you might not look like shit but you are not sustaining any of the, the things you did. Like it, in my opinion, it's important to ingrain habits, not tasks. I've been saying this a lot to my personal development kind of audience lately. It's like we want to think, act, behave and feel like genuinely emotionally feel like we are already the version of ourselves that we want to become. So it's about aligning your habits with the person you say you want to be. Okay, Not just doing the tasks and ticking them off for a short period of time with you know the end date in mind because that means once you get there, you're going to go back to how you were before. Our goal is to integrate this into our life. All right, now the last one, where was it? Oh, there it is. Um, what's the best split for muscle growth? Muscle growth. Best training split for muscle growth? There is none. All right, guys, that wraps us up. Nah, um, but there really isn't a best or most optimal because what is most optimal is what you can stick to and that you enjoy. In my opinion, it's important to target each muscle group at least twice per week. Okay, so if you're training chest on a Monday, international chest day, and you're not training chest again until the next Monday, it's not going to take your pecs seven days to recover, man. Like, what the fuck? Okay, so there's a lot of missed time in there that you could have – seen more progress, okay, across the span of the year, imagine training your chest 52 times or 104 times, which one do you think is going to see better results, all right, it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to figure that out, so I want you guys, if you're trying to build muscle mass, obviously it needs to fit in with your structure, start at two times per week per muscle group, so if that's a five-day split, it might be upper body, lower body, and then a a push-pull legs. If it's a four-day split, it might be upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body. Or it could be push-pull legs and full body. If it's three days, it might be um, upper body, lower body, full body. Uh, If it's two days, it could be just two days of full body. If it's one day, you're fucked. Nah. But um, if it's one day, then that's obviously quite difficult. But any movement is better than no movement. But for muscle growth training split, in my opinion, at least two times per week, I'm currently following a four a full body split where I'm training each muscle group at least four times per week, which is cool. Obviously, lower volume per muscle group each workout, but the quality is better. Recovery is quite tough, but it seems to be working quite well. But um, Pick the Split going to work for you. That's going to align with you know what's going to fit in with your lifestyle um, and go from there. But I hope you guys have enjoyed this question and answer q a also referred to um, cannot speak anymore which is great uh, but thank you for tuning in i hope you've taken some value from it i'd love to hear from you um, so take a screenshot of this episode post it on your instagram story feel free to share the link for this episode with a friend um, or someone who could benefit from this family member partner work colleague cat dog whatever um, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. And I've enjoyed recording this one, guys. So thank you for listening. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And your support means a lot to me. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I hope you have a awesome week and that you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks, guys.